I'm Pastor Steve, and I'm glad that you're here with us today as we, uh, now we're just going to open our Bibles and uh, be reminded today of, of why we're here, why we are here this Easter Sunday morning. I encourage you to turn, if you have it with you, to Romans chapter 1. In your New Testament, Romans chapter 1, we're just going to look at the first four verses this morning of Romans 1. So Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. I'm going to read those out loud, and you can follow along in your copy of the word. Romans chapter 1, the first four verses. Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was born of a descendant of David, according to the flesh, who was declared the son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, according to the spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord. Why are we here on Easter Sunday morning? It's It's got to be more than an opportunity for little girls to wear matching dresses. It has to be more than gathering together as, have, as a family after church to have ham, or in our case, lamb. We're here because of who Jesus is. We're here because Jesus did not stay dead. We're here because Jesus rose again from the dead, never to die again. We're here because the resurrection proves that Jesus is God. In fact, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verses 17 through 20 tells us that if the resurrection didn't happen, we're in real trouble. Verse 17 says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You're still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished, referring to those who who died and claimed to be Christians. If we've hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. Paul saying we, he and the other 11 apostles. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, you should feel the worst for them because they've wasted their lives. But... Now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. You see, the Apostle Paul was driven by the fact that Jesus did rise again from the dead. He's dedicated his life to tell people about Jesus because he sees the resurrection as good news. We love good news, don't we? 
I'll never forget, as a kid, I was probably five or six years old. My mother's home was Fort Collins, Colorado. We'd go to Fort Collins on a regular basis. And uh, we were at the Poudre River. We used to either fish in the Poudre or the Horsetooth Reservoir. We were at the Poudre River, and I caught my first trout. Oh, I was excited. As soon as I got that beautiful rainbow trout to the bank, I threw my rod down and I just started off running. And I can still remember to this day yelling as loud as I could, I caught a trout, I caught a trout. And there were picnickers up the river and I went and told them, I told everybody that I could find, I caught a rainbow. The morning after I asked Barbara to be my wife, I was so excited. I was in my last year of college, just so anxious to say, she actually said yes. Some guy that wanted to date her met me at the door and said, well, the guys in the dorm said she could have done a lot better, but I told them you're okay. (laughs) She said yes, it's good news. The birth of our sons. I still remember being at St. Luke's Hospital in Fargo, North Dakota. Our son had been born, and I was excited and hungry. So I left my wife in the room, and I went to Subway. And I was down there and said, hey, I just had a new son. Let's have double meat and double cheese. And they gave it to me free. It was great. Free Subway. (laughs) It's good news. I'm a dad. And now I'm a grandpa. Oh, hey, if you want to see pictures of Eloise, I've got a phone full of videos, and sometimes I just have to watch it and grin. It's good news. We love talking about good news. And so did the Apostle Paul. He spent his life talking about good news. And his good news is more important than any good news that I could have or you could have. His good news is the good news that he personally witnessed the fact that Jesus didn't stay in that grave. That he rose from the dead, proving his claim that he is indeed God. That his payment for sin was sufficient. That when he went to the cross to pay the price for the sin of the world, his payment was a good payment. It was a sufficient payment. And so here as we come to the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul is all about this good news. We know from the end of the book in the 15th chapter that Most likely Paul's writing this letter from the city of Corinth. He's on his third missionary journey. You see, he was so excited about this good news. He dedicated his life to traveling around and telling people about Jesus who did not know who he was and what he did and how he rose from the dead after he died for sin. And he's on the third of those journeys and 
He's writing to tell the Romans that he's on his way to Jerusalem to deliver an offering that the churches have collected for those in need. And and then he's going to go to Spain so that he can tell the people of Spain this good news about Jesus. But on his way, he wants to stop at this church in Rome. He's wanted to go there for so long. And he wants to give them an opportunity to partner with him, to be a sending church. And so he opens this letter by reminding them of his calling... And his message. First we want to look at his calling in verse 1. And we're going to see that the Apostle Paul is called as an apostle. He's one of those those men that have a special calling on their life who actually are first-hand witnesses of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And as an apostle, he's called to talk about good news. Look at verse 1. Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, meaning he's sold out for Jesus. Everything about Paul is for Jesus. Called as an apostle. He's like the other 11. We see the qualifications of an apostle in Acts chapter 1, verse 21, when they... Eleven were trying to replace Judas Iscariot. And, and here's the qualifications to be an apostle. Therefore, it's necessary that of the men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning with the baptism of John until the day he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. You had to have a first-hand knowledge of the resurrected Christ. And Paul has that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 1, he, he writes about it and said, Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? The answer is, yes, I have. You see, Paul says, I have a special calling to talk about good news to talk about the gospel of God. The gospel is good news. I've got a pheasant hunting buddy who who likes to make fun of the fact that I'm a preacher. So we will be out pheasant hunting out in some field in the afternoon, and oftentimes he'll say something like, Hey, am I going to go to hell for that? And... uh, One of the days when he said that to me, I said, you know, the Bible is pretty clear that each and every one of us deserve hell for the things that we've said, the things that we've done, the things that we thought that go against God's will. A few weeks later, he and I were reloading cartridges in his garage, and and we talked again about the good news of Jesus. You see, none of us in this room are called as an apostle. We haven't seen firsthand the resurrected Jesus, but each of us have a calling. Each of us who have put our trust in the person of Jesus Christ have a calling to be sharing this good news. Peter talks about it this way in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, when he says, But sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that's in you. You see, 
we're to be talking about this good news. We're to be sharing it whenever we have opportunity. Because it is good news. Paul goes on and and he talks about his message. What is this good news? In verses 2 through 4. He says, Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures, meaning the Old Testament, looked forward to this good news. And then he starts defining this good news in verse 3. He says it's good news, it's the gospel of God concerning his Son. You see, this message of good news is about Jesus Christ. It's about the second person of the Trinity. Here, the Apostle Paul reminds us that he's a descendant of David. And next week, when we go back to 2 Samuel chapter 7, we're going to be reminded of that great promise that God made to David, that his descendant would sit on his throne forever and ever, reigning over God's kingdom here on earth. And here in Romans 1... Paul reminds us, David, David's descendant, is this one. It's the Son. It's Jesus who died for our sin and rose again from the dead that the Bible comes to know as the Messiah. So here Paul says this good news, this gospel, is about God's Son, Jesus Christ a descendant of David, verse 4, who was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, according to the Spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, the good news of Jesus is that his resurrection proves that he is God. And the death that he died for the sin of the world was a sufficient death. You see, the Bible's all about good news and bad news. The bad news is that each and every one of us are sinners. We've all done things, thought things, acted out things that are contrary to who God is and contrary to His revealed will for us. And because we're sinners, we can't be in relationship with God because He has no sin in Him. And He can't just overlook our sin. He can't just say, well, I'll just forget about it. Because that would violate His very character. He is a righteous God. He is the right standard. There's no sin in Him at all. And as our Creator, He has the right to demand of us that we line up our lives with Him and each and every one of us fail. And because we fail and because He can't just forget about it, it causes this big gulf between us and God. This division, this chasm between us and God. There's a verse in the book of Isaiah in chapter 59 verse 2 that says, But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you so that he does not hear. So it's as if all of us are over here and we can't get to God. We can't do enough good things to somehow build a bridge over to God. We can't 
because we're stuck in our sin. And God can't just say, well, forget about it, because it would violate who he is, a righteous God. But God's not only a righteous God, he's a God of love. So what he did was sent his one and only son to earth to be born of a virgin and as 100% God, as 100% man, lived a sinless life on earth so that he could take the penalty for all of our sin upon himself and actually make it possible for us to get from here over to God. To bring us to God. Two summers ago, my wife Barbara and I took two weeks and went to New England. I'd never been to New England. My wife said she's never seen me so relaxed. Can you believe that? More relaxed than I normally am. And the reason why I was so relaxed is we had no plan. We just went as the wind carried us. If we saw a sign that said historic bridge four miles, we went and saw the historic bridge. What would take an hour, we would take four. Getting from point A to point B, we had no plan. It was great. We spent a day in Vermont and a day in New Hampshire, eight days meandering down the coast of Maine, just eating lobster at little shacks and sitting by the sea. And then we ended up in Boston. I love Boston. Now, while I love to just relax and see things and eat at little dive restaurants, I'm also frugal. And when we got to Boston, we've discovered it's it's expensive there. In fact, I'm a big Priceline guy. I don't like to spend more for a three-star hotel than like 56 bucks. And uh, it can be done. It's great. It makes it really fun as a challenge. And uh, I get to Boston, and I'm up to like $140 bid and not getting picked up. I said, what are we going to do? So I found an inn in Winthrop, Massachusetts, which is across the harbor from Boston. And I booked it. And what was really nice is just that two blocks from the inn was a ferry service that the city of Winthrop hires to taxi people back and forth across Boston Harbor. And so we thought, this is great. We'll get up early in the morning. If the ferry leaves at 7, we'll have to be there promptly at 6.30 because that's how I like to do things. And uh, we got up really early, walked the two blocks, getting ready to get on this ferry. This man walks up to us and says, are you here for the ferry? I said, yes, we are. We're a little early. He says, well, I'm sorry it's not going to run today because we're fogged in. It's too foggy. I can't take you across. And I was like, it's right over there. I watched it last night. It's not that far. Now it's just too foggy. It's not safe. So here we are. We're stuck at the ferry station. Where we want to get is right over the harbor, but we can't get there. Can't walk it, it's too far. I can't walk it straight across. I'm not Jesus. What are we going to do? Well, Tim, the ferry operator, said, Hey, I'll help you. 
come on with me, get in my pickup. It's not very far. About five or six miles later, he takes us to a subway station and said, man, can I give you 20 bucks? Nope, this is on me. I just wanted to help you out. You see, he brought us at his cost at no cost to us. You know what Jesus did for you? He made it possible to bring you to God at no cost to you, but at a great cost to him, his own life. You see, he made it possible for there to be a bridge between you and God. That's why he came. That's why he died on that cross. And Paul says the good news is he didn't stay dead. He rose again from the dead, proving his claim to be God, proving that his payment for sin was a sufficient payment. And the good news is, is that that payment that Jesus made is available to you and to me as a free gift. He paid the price so that we wouldn't have to. Well, how do I get the gift? We receive the free gift by putting our faith in the person of Jesus Christ. By coming to that point in our life where I say, I know I can't get there on my own. I can't do enough good things to build a bridge to God. I can't put enough things on a scale to somehow outweigh my sin. I'm stuck. But Jesus had no sin. He died on the cross to pay the price for my sin. And I'm putting my trust in him. To put our faith in Jesus, to put our trust in Jesus, is simply transferring the dependence of your life and my life from ourselves, thinking I can be good enough to have merit with God, and putting our dependence on the person of Jesus Christ. Believing that he is God, that he died for me and rose again from the dead. And at the moment I do that, at the moment you do that, a myriad of things happen. We become instantly adopted. We become children of God. Our sin is forgiven. As God looks at us, he doesn't see us as a sinner. He sees us as a saint. The scriptures put it in reference as being clothed with the righteousness of Christ. Paul says, that's good news. That's good news because I'm not stuck over here anymore. I don't have to be separated from God because of my sin. I can have assurance that I'm in right relationship with God because Jesus died in my place. He took my sin upon himself. He paid my price. And that's available to you and me. If you're here this morning, I want to offer you two things. One, in the back of the auditorium, we have a book that's available to you that you can just take. It's back on a wooden box back there. You can just take it with you. Take your own Bible and go through and look up the verses that talk about what Jesus has accomplished for you. And that it's so simple that All that we have to do to have his gift credited to the account of our lives is to put our trust in Jesus. We can simply go to God and say, God, I know I'm a sinner. I'm separated from you. Right now, I'm 
putting my trust in Jesus. I believe that He is God, that He died for me and rose again. And at that point, His payment for sin is credited to your life. Your sin is paid in full. I also want to mention that if you're here today and you want to do that this morning and you would like to pray with one of our elders, one of our elders will be back in the prayer room at the end of the service. Go back. He can talk with you through the verses that I've shared and talk with you about the good news and how it can apply to your life. You see, the good news of Easter is that Jesus' resurrection declares that he is God. That his payment for sin is a sufficient payment for you. That his payment for sin is available as a free gift. And when we put our trust in him, that gift is credited to the account of our lives.